different kinds of angels. Talks about seraphim that are the burning ones, and there's the cherubim, winged ones. Um, we have some shedding ones as well. So, <laughs> notice in the back we had some angels that got plucked or something. Uh, well, as we go to prayer, um, let's turn our attention to our great God. Uh, we have uh, a couple families that have um, been going through some difficult times here during the Christmas season. And so I'd just like to remember Galen's um, an extended family as they lost a loved one this week. Let's be praying for, um, for each one of them, specifically for Keith and his family. Uh, let's go to our God in prayer. And, and uh, Father in heaven, we, uh, we thank you for this time of year in which we come, we celebrate the birth of your son, his first coming, even as we look forward to his second coming together. Uh, Lord, we are so grateful for the gift that you've given to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the salvation that you have poured out upon us, your grace. You've given to us redemption, forgiveness of sins. All of this, great gifts. Jesus Christ, the greatest gift of all that you've given to us. And so during this Christmas season, we remember that he came, he was born into, a, into this world, he took on flesh, became one of us. He dwelt among us and he lived a perfect life fulfilled the law, and then we crucified Him. And so as we remember His first coming, we also look forward to His second coming in which He will come again and take us home. And He will set up His kingdom here on earth. We look forward to that day and we rejoice this week as we think of all that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, we do pray for uh, Galen's family right now during this, this Christmas holiday. Um, a lot of joy during this season and also a lot of grief for many of us. And so for, for this family who's particularly grieving this week, as well as for many of us who, who have a tough time through the Christmas holidays, I just pray that you would be the one who comforts, that you would be the one that brings uh, peace during, during these, this week. As we, turn, as we turn our attention to your word, Father, it's my prayer that you would teach us. I pray that your spirit would open up our minds and our hearts and help us to understand these things and that would soften our hearts so that we would respond to you in an appropriate way with repentance with, with the love that you've called us um, that's appropriate for the grace that you've poured out onto us. Please use this time to teach us. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. It's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Well, you know, when we were children, we, um, there were certain items of value that we really held on to. They gave us security. They gave us comfort, happiness. We had our, our toys, our dolls, stuffed animals, blankets. And boys and girls alike hold on to those treasures until it's time to put them aside. I remember for me, I had uh, a, um, a couple boxes of action figures that my brother and I played with every, every chance that we got. And we collected these action figures and we, we'd, um, when, when we didn't have school, we'd come home, we'd, we'd pull the boxes out, we'd dump everything out, we'd sort through it, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd play. And then um, after a while, after a few years as we got older, those those toys went in the box and they stayed in that closet for more extended periods of time before we pulled them out again. And, and then uh, high school began and eventually when, uh, when Angie and I had been married for about five years, I, no, it was a long time before that, um, eventually those boxes just stopped coming out until we moved to Texas and, and I decided, you know what, I think I can make some money off of these things. And so the toys went away permanently and it was a, a permanent cutoff of of uh, something that had, had brought great joy during those years as a child. But um, 
as children, you know, we move on and we grow up from the things that we did as a child. When Paul spoke in 1 Corinthians, he said, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Uh, And likely he was referring to ancient cultures in which there was a clear tradition in which a a person uh, had a clear transition from childhood into adulthood. In, In Greek culture, they would cut their long hair and offer it to their gods. The Romans would have a ceremony in which they would take their, their childhood toy, or for the girls, they'd take their childhood doll, and they would, they would actually burn it uh, as, a, uh, as a clear break in which they gave up their childish ways, and they became a, a man or a woman. Of course, in Jewish culture, they had a bar mitzvah on their first Sabbath after their 12th birthday. But in all these cultures and around the world, we, we have this point where we recognize that it's time to move on from the things that we had as a child to being an adult. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. We've been looking at several passages that deal with God's purpose in sending His Son, Jesus Christ. And Galatians is one of the most glorious of all of these. Here in this chapter, the Apostle Paul speaks to the process of passing into adulthood, and he describes how as believers, we have in the same way We've left behind our devotion to self. We've left behind our devotion to good works as a means of salvation. And and we have become heirs with Christ. And he begins by saying, look at verse 1. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And if I can translate that into to modern culture and the experience that you and I typically have shared, uh, here's what these verses are pointing at. Uh, We have a phrase, at least in my household, I know in many of yours, that as long as you're under my roof, you follow my rules, right? If I pay for the roof over your head, if I put food on the table, if I heat your room in the winter, if, if I bring, uh, let it be cooled in the summer, then you are going to have certain responsibilities that you have to fulfill as a member of the household. And so at least in the Niles house, as long as you are living in our house, there are chores that you're expected to take part in. Now now here's where it becomes a little more challenging. As our children grow up, um, they're growing up into adults, and certain freedoms and responsibilities are expected, aren't there? And so over the years, bedtime gets extended into later hours. Uh, There comes a point in the teenage years when our children can expect that they're no longer going to be treated like they're five years old. And as parents, we can expect that our children are no longer going to act like they're five years old. Eventually, one gets their driver's license, and so we set a curfew, and that curfew gets extended. You finish high school, and you graduate, and are considered an adult. So there's a ceremony that we have, and after that point, we consider that person grown up. However, as long as you live in the home, there continues to be someone in your life who's acting as, to some degree, your guardian, your manager. And so as children, you may be the heir of a multi-million dollar estate, but as, until you reach a certain age, it doesn't matter who, what you're the heir to, you are still under the authority of your parent or your guardian or your manager. And, and so in New Testament times, as long as you were a child in your father's house, uh, you had no more rights to making your own decisions than a slave did. You, you, you had no freedoms. And so in verse 3, the apostle makes this comparison. He says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, he doesn't really clearly define what he means by that phrase. 
but, it, but it doesn't take much to imagine just a little bit. Uh, when I was a child, I was chained to my blanket, to my action figures, my teddy bear, simple math, ABCs, my free time, my childish attitudes, my immaturity. There's a variety of things that, that we left behind when we left childhood for being adults. Some of us have held on to those things maybe a little bit longer than others, but, but here's the analogy. Before you were in Christ, there were many elementary things that, that defined your life. And, and like a child who, who was no more than a slave um, to his parents or to his guardian, we too were enslaved to a way of life that we couldn't help. It was a life that, had, that we had no power or authority to overcome. And for the Jewish people, there was the law, but, but they were unable to obey it. And so here in the context of the book of Galatians, Paul is developing his argument, showing how uh, his argument for the gospel and this good news that salvation by grace alone through faith in Christ, that this salvation is given to us apart from works, apart from us accomplishing something that I can earn my salvation for myself. And Paul's saying that the law could never accomplish that. But the gospel, this good news that God gave us a free gift, Unfortunately, there was a group of people telling the Galatians that, that they needed to keep following the law in addition to following Jesus. And so they, they said, yeah, Jesus is important, but you've got to follow the law as well. You have to do all the things from the Old Testament, everything that Moses commanded. If you're going to be a good Christian, you have to include all of this. And so in Galatians, Paul is, is describing how the gospel is sufficient and how the gospel provides great freedom. I, I like how Bob Deffenbaugh summarized what Galatians chapter 3 had established up to this point. He says, the law did have its purpose in the fulfilling of God's promises to Abraham. The law made the problem of sin painfully obvious. The law, it defined sin and actually resulted in multiplying sin to where it could not be denied. The purpose of the law, however, was provisional, and it was never intended to be permanent. The law was not in opposition to the promises of God, for the economy pointed men to the promises and, and proved every means of obtaining them other than faith, that every means was futile. The law did not oppose faith, but it prepared for it, and it promoted it as the only means to receiving God's promises, promised blessings through Abraham. And since the law was provisional and preparatory, it was set aside after the coming of Christ, and thus it ceased to make the old distinctions between Jew and Gentile which was the basis for the pride and the zeal of the Judaizers who were coming in and saying, you still need to follow the law. And so here in chapter 4 that we're looking at today, Paul compares the law to, to this guardian that oversees the child, to this, this keeper of the child's estate. And so even if the child had a million dollars to invest and spend and enjoy, he wasn't able to touch the inheritance because he was under the authority of the law. Now, again, as long as Israel was under the Old Testament law code, they were like children who were slaves in their own home. But, but, God, but God is going to change that. And that's the point that we're looking at here in Galatians chapter 4. You see, in verse 4, Paul says, but God. We were unable to overcome our sin. We were unable to save ourselves. We were unable to move beyond the ABCs of the law and of righteousness that, that we earned by ourselves, or that's at least what the teachers were teaching in this church, but God. And, and, and here's where Paul teaches us one of the most incredible Christmas lessons found in the entire New Testament. In verse 4, he goes on to say, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, 
born under the law. You know, the, the fullness of time is an interesting, it's an interesting uh, phrase that's used here in Scripture. It, it refers to the time in which God had prepared for His Son, Jesus Christ, to be sent into the world. And, and here is the beautiful thing about what's being said here. God knew the perfect timing. He prepared for it. All of human history, from the beginning to the end, all of human history was arranged around the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Before the advent of Christ, uh, Israel and the entire world was waiting for that day when the Father said, it's time to graduate. It's time to grow up. It's time for this period of, of preparation to end and to usher in a new era of redemption. And so if you've ever heard the, the phrase perfect timing, let me highlight just a few of the ways in which Jesus was born when the fullness of time had come, when the time was absolutely perfect in human history. He describes it as the, the fullness of time. And first we see that the law had fulfilled its purpose. It was the fullness of time. It was the perfect time for Jesus to come into this world because the law had, at this point in history had fulfilled what it had, its purpose was. Man had been shown to be utterly sinful. The Old Testament law shows us our sinfulness. It shows us that we're unable to save ourselves. The law, written both on the pages of the Old Testament, which had, had come to, the, to completion at this point, as well as God's law, which he writes on our hearts, it demonstrated that we're, we are unrighteousness. It demonstrated that I am a rebel who am, I'm, I'm set at war with God and I am incapable of meeting the perfect standard that God has set. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he came in the fullness of time when the law had fulfilled its purpose completely. There's a second way that it was the fullness of time. It was the perfect time for Jesus to come. Uh, we, um, we know from history that, that culturally it was the fullness of time. The, Greece had, had unified the ancient world. Uh, at, at, up until this point throughout history, people were scattered. People were at war with one another. There were tribes and, and different languages. But when Greece came, they, they brought hundreds of warring tribes and nations under one kingdom. And they spoke one common language. They were under one government. They had common roads and, and common systems for communicating with one another. After the resurrection and after the church had been born, the gospel is it's going to burst into the whole world. And roads had literally been paved for the gospel to go out. And so when Jesus came, and it, he came at a time in his, human history where the good news of the Messiah's birth and his death and his resurrection, it could go out into the world and it could spread. Culturally, Jesus was born at the fullness of time. But the Son of God also came into the world at the fullness of time politically. The world was currently under what we call the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. It was a span of over 200 years that started just before Jesus was, was born, lasted up until about 180 A.D., and it provided an incredibly stable environment in which the gospel was able to go out and spread without the turmoil of, of the dangers of, of war and foreign armies invading. And so verse 4 describes Christ's coming in, in two ways. He, he came at the fullness of time, and when he did so, he came born of a woman, uh, which points, um, while we believe in the, the miraculous virgin birth, and the Bible teaches his miraculous virgin birth, the emphasis in this passage is on the truth that Jesus, he put on humanity. At the fullness of time, he actually became one of us. He was born of a woman. And when we sing Emmanuel, we are singing the glorious revelation that God 
took on humanity. We've been talking about how he pitched his tent among us. He tabernacled with us. He dwelt with us. He came and he camped alongside of us to show us what it means to walk in righteousness, what it means to please God our Father. And in the fullness of time, he became a man. But Jesus also was born under the law. He was born as a Jew. And by being born under its obligations, Jesus fulfilled what no human being up up until that point had ever done before. He perfectly obeyed God's law. He fulfilled its requirements, and by doing so, he demonstrated that he qualifies to redeem all of us who were unable to keep that law. And so Jesus came at the perfect time in history. Uh, We celebrate that, and and as we open presents with one another, and as we celebrate over a a wonderful meal, and as we have special occasions and family over, we celebrate this this focal point of all of human history that came together when Jesus stepped into our world. But then verse 5, it it gives us two purposes for why Jesus came. This is what we've been doing this month, is we've been looking at these different verses throughout the New Testament that describe why why Jesus came into this world, why he took on flesh and dwelt among us. And verse 5 gives us two purpose statements that describe why Jesus came. And it's a Christmas truth that we cannot forget 2,000 years later. God sent forth his Son, verse 5, first of all, to redeem those who were under the law. Jesus Christ was sent into this world to buy us back. We were once slaves. We were slaves to the law. We were slaves to sin, slaves to ourselves, slaves to a system that we couldn't break out of. But Jesus was sent to redeem us. So when we exchange Christmas gifts, the real reason that we do so is to remind ourselves that Jesus purchased and redeemed us with his blood, the greatest gift that he could ever provide. He did it with his, his own body himself and he died for us but not only did god send jesus to redeem us verse 5 goes on and describes a second purpose statement it says redemption whereas redemption it refers to what god has done for us in salvation the second purpose demonstrates our response to that salvific act our faith and it says to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and so we owe everything to our savior and, and, and here's the thing, if, if he had redeemed us so that he could drive us into obedience and submission by demanding everything of us like a slave master, would he have had the right to do so? Could he have come in and said, I'm God, and I'm going to redeem you, and now you're going to serve me, and I'm going to force you into my will, and I'm going to make your life miserable until you obey me completely. Could he have done that, and would he have been right in doing so? Absolutely, he's God. But in his incredible plan, that's not what he did. In his incredible plan, rather than put that kind of burden on us, he he poured his grace out onto us and gave us the power to overcome sin, to experience the joy that comes with forgiveness of walking in a relationship with him. Not as a a master and a a slave, although he he is our master, but, but as family members, as those who are adopted. And on top of all of of everything he did to redeem us, he didn't just call us just to be servants in a household, he called us to be those who are adopted and brought into the family as heirs. And so he didn't just buy us so that he would have personal slaves to do his will and and his bidding anytime he wanted, but we're not merely servants in the household. He redeemed us 
at the fullness of time so that we might be adopted as sons, as co-heirs with Jesus Christ. I, I, I love how Warren Wiersbe once put this. He said, we enter God's family by regeneration. We're, we're born again. But we enjoy God's family by adoption. And so now we can cry out to our God and we can call him Abba, Father. And with sonship, he's made us heirs to eternal life and everything that eternity offers to us. At Christmas time, every year we, we offer gifts to one another. Sometimes, sometimes gifts are just nice gestures, aren't they? It's a nice gesture of one's love for us. And when we give those gifts, there's sometimes different ways that happens, isn't it? Um, I, I know in my family, we, we oftentimes went out on December 23rd, and uh, we did that last-minute Christmas shopping when I was a kid. And um, there was a lot, of, a lot of times, because we waited so long, that those, those gifts ended up being not, not very thought through sometimes. Or you'd have an idea, and then you'd get there, and, and it was what you wanted to do was all gone. And so you'd have this last-minute backup plan. And so sometimes gifts are just nice gestures that we, they show that we've thought of another person. Maybe a coworker. We do white elephant parties, Christmas exchanges. And they're, they're thoughtful, but sometimes those gifts are just spur of the moment. And in our thoughtlessness, we hurry at the last minute and we buy a gift out of compulsion or out of love, but, but we didn't take time to think about the person. We didn't pre- prepare and put the, into the gift the giving the, the thought and the concern that should have gone with that gift. But then there's other times when we, we offer a gift and a lot of thought goes into it, a lot of planning, a lot of preparation for the, the giving of it. And what we learn in this Christmas passage here in Galatians chapter 4, God declares to us an amazing truth. God didn't just wait to the last minute and, and on that Christmas, first Christmas go, how are we going to solve this problem of sin? We've been letting it go for a long time and so it's time, but what, what happens now? He didn't come up with a spur-of-the-moment plan. What we find here in Galatians is that God, throughout all of human history, had been preparing for this moment. This is the ultimate preparation for a gift. God the Father took all of human history, and he gave us his son, who was born of a woman, born under the law, Jesus humbled himself and he stepped into humanity. God took on flesh and he became one of us. And in the perfect timing, God, the Son, perfectly met God's standard in fulfilling the law and God gave us Jesus at the perfect point in all of human history. And he did it so that we might be redeemed and so that we might become sons and daughters of the King. Redeemed to be a part of his family. Our passage concludes with, with one other great benefit. Because of his redemption that we've received through faith, you've become part of this family of God. And verse 6 goes on, and he says, And because, because you are sons, God sent, has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And so he not only invites us into the family, but he, he then seals us with his spirit, identifying us as his. Um, we're not, we, are, we are kept by him, 
And unlike the, the saints in the Old Testament, you, you and I have the Spirit indwelling in us. Do you remember David's prayer? David sinned against God and he, and he pleaded with God. He says, Lord, please don't take your Spirit away from me. He, he knew that presence that the Spirit had in his life. And when he sinned, there wasn't that promise of the Spirit always indwelling him. And so he prayed, Lord, please don't remove your Spirit. Unlike the Old Testament saints, you and I have the Spirit indwelling us, assuring us of our intimate relationship with our Father, our Creator, and assuring us of our partnership with Christ, the inheritance of eternity. John MacArthur concluded his commentary on this section with the, this exclamation. He said, What an incomprehensible truth that by giving ourselves to Jesus Christ in faith, God gives us everything his Son possesses. Have you thought about everything that Jesus possesses as the Son of God? Everything that Jesus belongs to him as his inheritance in the kingdom? And as co-heirs with Jesus, you've been brought into the family and given a position alongside the Son, and what belongs to him belongs to those who are in his kingdom, to us as his sons and daughters. We are co-heirs with Christ. And so God gives us everything that his Son possesses. And as we, as we conclude, and as you go out, I mean, we celebrate with our families. And as we celebrate with our friends this week, I, I'd like to just leave you with, with a few things. First of all, if, if you have not believed, if you're here and, and, and you have not believed in Jesus, and you have not trusted in the work that he accomplished for you on the cross, if you've not turned in repentance from, from your sin, my prayer for you is that today you would humble your heart before this holy God and that you would receive the remarkable free gift that he offers to you. My prayer for you is that, that you wouldn't wait. Perhaps you've gone your whole life and you've thought, you know, I'm a Christian. I've gone to church my whole life. I've been a pretty good person. I've, I've kind of done the whole church thing. I haven't been as bad as a lot of other people. The Bible teaches us that salvation is not by your works. It's not by following any law. It's not by following the law of the Old Testament. It's not by following the law of being a good church person. It is by grace alone, something that God gives to you that you don't deserve. And he gave it to you in his son, Jesus Christ, who took your place. He died on the cross to pay for the penalty that you couldn't pay. And so don't wait for a New Year's resolution to receive the gift that he offers to you. Don't wait for years later when, when you've lived most of your life. Don't put him off till tomorrow because you may not even have the rest of today. And every day that you walk in sin is a day that you miss the opportunity to enjoy life in him, to enjoy the forgiveness that he offers, to enjoy eternity now, eternal life today, to receive redemption, to receive adoption as, as a child of the king. Don't wait until it's too late and risk an eternity that's under his wrath instead. His gift is extended out to you. And so my prayer is that you would receive it. That you would, in faith, believe in Christ and what he did for you. My friends, this week, let us all celebrate the glorious inheritance that Christ accomplished for us by coming and dwelling among us. We, we, we have lots of festivities that we surround this week with. But in the midst of all of it, don't lose sight of the redemption that he brought to you as a result of Jesus Christ coming that first time. We celebrate him coming as a babe. 
but we can't forget that he grew up and he sacrificed himself on a cross. And in his first coming, he accomplished our redemption and he offers to us that forgiveness. He accomplished our adoption as sons. He met law's requirements and by offering himself as a sacrifice in our place, he brought to us this grace that is incomparable. And so let us celebrate Christ our Lord and with the Spirit filling our hearts, let us sing praises to Him. Let us worship Him and give thanks through this time of remembering His birth. We know as we, as we read the Matthew and, and Luke that the Magi, they came offering gifts. Uh, when I was, was a child, I've told you before, I, I, um, I, I, I saw my, my mother was a musician and she uh, was in this... Um, musical called A Mall and the Night Visitors, and it's a story of the Magi, and, and they meet this little crippled boy. And when I was a kid, I, I sat there in amazement, and one of the songs is about the box and everything that's in this box, and there's the gold and the, the frankincense and all these wonderful things. And, and there's this song about, about the box, and, and in one of these little boxes, he tells this little boy, there's something very special, and it's licorice. And so he pulls out this licorice and he shows this, this, uh, this wonder of licorice. And so when I was uh, a kid, I, I was in a, 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 we called it Bible baseball. Uh, it was our, kind of our Awana program. And so I decided to go for the, uh, the home run and, and get, I asked for one of the, the tough questions. And I was asked, what were the three gifts? And so I knew this one. I had just seen the musical. And so I, I, I sat there with all the boys around me and all my leaders. And my dad was the pitcher throwing me the question. And um, he was proud of me because he knew I had it. And so I said, gold, frankincense, and licorice. And the Magi came offering gifts. And um, when I was a child, I thought of childish things. But, but when I became an adult, I, I, I learned to say myrrh as well. Um, the Magi came, and they offered gifts. And when they came, it wasn't just gifts that they brought, but they worshiped. The shepherds came, and they came rejoicing. They came rejoicing to see what God had declared to them. The angels, they sang glory to God on the birthday of God's Son. They didn't leave feathers all over the countryside either. But, but um, they came, and they, they, they worshiped the Son, and they declared what He had come to do. God has done something really amazing in redeeming us, but also in, in calling us to be part of a family, adopting us as sons. And so as we go out from here, my challenge to you is, is as you go out into this world, he's called us to go into our Jerusalem, into our, our Judea, into Samaria, those neighboring countrysides, and into the whole world. There's a couple ways we can do that. And oftentimes I think we have this perspective that, that as we go into the world, I, I'm one of his employees, I'm one of his corporate officers, and I, we're important and he loves us. But we, we take on this perspective that, that I go out and, I, and I'm doing it as just a requirement of my job. I, I'm an employee of the company. And so I go out and I do the job that God's called me to do. And in doing so, I, I kind of do what the Old Testament saints had oftentimes done and what the Pharisees certainly were doing in Jesus' day and the, the, the Judaizers in Paul's day when he wrote Galatians. We, we, we oftentimes go out and we start trying to fulfill all these requirements that God's given to us because it's just part of the job. And, and, and Paul in Galatians says, look, that's not who you are anymore. It, it's time to grow up. It's time to graduate. It's time to, to burn the childhood toys and, and 
Become an adult because you have been adopted as heirs of the kingdom. You're not just an employee that goes out and does what your officers commanded you to do. We are servants of the king, and he is our master, and we owe him everything. But in his grace, he's done something more for us. He's called you to be an heir, a son. And so as we go out and we fulfill his commission, as we do the works that he's called us to do because of our thankfulness that overflows out of our hearts, go out doing so not as a corporate employee, but go out doing so, knowing that the kingdom that you were investing in is a kingdom that you share an inheritance in. That you are heirs of that kingdom, heirs of everything that comes with it, everything that belongs to Jesus, he shares with us. And so we might we go out as sons, doing his will, being a part of his kingdom. We're going to close today in singing, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. And we sing of angels who proclaimed his peace on earth. We sing of a Savior who took our crushing load. We sing of days hastening on and prophecy being fulfilled. When he returns again, because we don't just celebrate the first coming, but we also, we also celebrate that he's coming again. And we sing, I invite you to sing with us as together we worship, as we praise and rejoice in the Son who has brought us, bought us, not only to be slaves, not only to be his servants, but to be heirs of eternity. Let's sing together. Please stand.